Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So, the Vancouver Canucks. Trade Central. Yes. As we said yesterday, it's not. It's no longer Patrick Aldine. It is Patrick All-In. <laughs> So bad. <laughs> That's really bad. Yes, and that was a text. That was a listener's. Uh, as soon as we say it's bad, Dan's like, "What well, was a listener who texted it in?" <laughs> no accountability. None. None whatsoever. Rick Tocchi would not be a fan of mine. Um, Nikita Zadorov is a Vancouver Canuck. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, and we have uh, Big Nazar in as well for a Canuck Central roundtable. As it may be, uh, I guess Zadorov Central now, but. Um, so, this comes out of left field, right? Yeah. Uh, we're all uh, getting ready for the show, and the Canucks uh, send out the tweet, we've acquired Nikita Zadorov and all this. And Well, not quite left field. Like We know they like the player. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of thought that Calgary was just not willing to trade mm-hmm. with Vancouver, which w- is why I was most surprised mm-hmm. um, by the news, but... I think, you know, now that I've kind of gone through it and talked to a couple of people, I can understand why uh, this move happened now and why the Canucks are the team that land Nikita Zadorov. There was the trade request. Um, the Canucks opened up cap space with the Anthony Beauvillier trade. And essentially all of the other interested parties in Nikita Zadorov could not make this move right now unless Calgary retains salary and that's how Vancouver wins the Nikita Zadorov sweepstakes well the Canucks uh, do a good job of taking advantage of two desperate situations one being Chicago finding themselves in need of a legitimate forward with Taylor Hall being injured and then then the Corey Perry fiasco they couldn't wait to change the conversation and do do something positive for the team and the Canucks get a fifth round pick out of it and I don't think anybody else was giving you draft capital nor taking that contract off your hands at this point I think what the Canucks did was leverage the fact that they could have got more at the deadline to Chicago and be like well you got to give us something because yeah. we can trade this guy later and get something so why should we trade him to you now they did a good job of acquiring an asset instead of just giving the guy over for nothing and use that fifth round pick to take advantage of another desperate situation as you outlined Dan with the Calgary Flames and we've heard similar things about how after that game in Toronto where his agent demanded a trade well even it, after he called out teammates early in the year when Calgary was really struggling and then he he calls guys out and then demands a trade publicly yeah I don't think that sat well with the guys on the team and you're right it got to a point where they felt like they had to make a move Calgary was always very reluctant to make a deal with Vancouver and strengthen a rival and I think it was really the desperate desperation that Vancouver took advantage of. And yes, they give up a third-round pick in the future, sure, but it's a 2026 third. And for you to get that type of help, which usually at the deadline will cost you a second-round pick, if not more, and get an extra 40 games out of that guy to help you get to the playoffs and then be here and, and be ingrained with the team come the postseason, I just think it's it's really an A-plus move across the board and really savvy management to get them to this point. So, Bick, how do we feel about the fit for Nikita Zadorov on the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, I... I... You know, I really like the player. Yeah. The, the the consideration of him, you know, asking out for minutes, wasn't playing enough, and then okay, what are the minutes going to look like here? Yes. That to me is something that's going to be interesting to solve now in the here and now. Probably plays top four minutes. What happens when Carson Seuss comes back? Because Carson Seuss was playing really good hockey mm-hmm. before he got hurt. 
but the immediate reaction of trying to figure out the machination of the blue line it was actually kind of a lot of fun because you can find different ways to pair these six demon now when healthy uh together and, and, and find some diff- some some interesting pairings well i think you could look at it a couple of different ways uh maybe you keep hughes and heronic together and then you just have uh, well three massive towers and you know you're on your second and third pairs right however you want to divvy them up if is it cole and zadorov together and you keep susie and myers after they showed they had some burgeoning chemistry yeah. earlier this season before the susie injury you know there's there's a lot of different ways you can look at this and i, I rick talk it there was a Last year, when the Canucks were going into play Vegas for the first time, and Rick was uh, asked what he thinks of the Vegas Golden Knights. And all he did was gloat about how well they move on defense and how big they are on defense, how tough they are to play through because they have so much size on defense. Yeah, He mentioned it again yesterday when he was talking about the Vegas defense. And I, I have to think, you know, coaches even though he's loving of the lefty righty combos on every pair i think he'll probably be like nah, eh, you know what we got another guy who's over six five i think I, I think i can work with this well and the thing too i will say about the lefty lefty pair um not wanting to have two lefties on a pair if your top six defensemen are four lefties the coach has no choice like mm-hmm. he's not gonna he's not gonna cut cut his cut off his own nose to spite his face right so i think the natural move if and when they are healthy and and it's a big if it's a long season and carson Susi is still several weeks away from being healthy and and god knows what the state of the blue line is going to be like when he comes back so you're going to be at a point where you're going to be forced to play somebody on the right side. And I think Zadorov is the most comfortable. Out of all the guys, Cole, Susie as well, who can play the right side, Zadorov somebody who's played it consistently in his National Hockey League career. He grew up playing the right side as a lefty throughout his career as well. So I think he's very comfortable doing that. And I think he's going to be the, 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 the go-to guy in that spot. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong, but like, does it also matter who he's playing with? Well, yeah. Like, is... is... Zadorov on the right with, can I say Carson Soucy? Well, Different than uh, Ian Cole on the right with Quinn Hughes? Well, you want to split up Hironic and Hughes? Look, the, they have a lot of options now. Well, they do. But I'm saying I'm I'm going by the notion that you want to keep mm-hmm. Hughes and Hironic together. And if you want to do that, then I think you can play Cole and Zadorov together. And then you can go Soucy and Myers as your third pair. Mm-hmm. And they're very yeah. comfortable doing that. It's... um. It's now a defense that, you know, when we talked about this team 12 months ago and all of the turmoil that was surrounding this club and how much criticism Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine were taking for not significantly reshaping the defense last offseason. And now you just have Hughes and... Myers that are retained from what they took over when they first got here. Yeah. And they've completely reshaped the defense. They've completely reshaped almost the entire team, really. But the defense specifically is a lot different. And, you know, they have a clear identity of how they want to play on defense. And, you know, this is it's targeted acquisitions of 
they, they really go after the players that they think will fit best into the way that they want to play. Well, I think it's also when you have a clear identity of what you are as a team and how you play as a team and the characteristics that you value, then the group of players that you're choosing from and acquiring is smaller because you're going to just not consider a bunch of players that don't fit that type of You mold. knock a bunch of players off your list. Like, yeah. yeah, this guy doesn't really fit what we need. And, and and that doesn't come without some potential fit pitfalls here and there and missing on some guys. That can happen. But when you have a more narrow scope, you're more likely to also find good fits and have success. And that's what we've ultimately seen here. And, I mean, you go through all their trades so far. And with Zadorov, hey, it's a I think from a price of acquisition, I like it. He wasn't my first choice or my second choice to go after, mm -hmm. but it ultimately comes down to the price. People are asking, why not go after Tanev? The price for Tanev is significantly higher than going after Zadorov. And a unique set of circumstances making Zadorov available for this price at this point in the season. The Flames aren't rushing to get rid of Chris Tanev right now. Yeah. yeah. And I've made this point numerous times. I'm willing to take on just about any player in the league for the right price. And the price was right here for Zadorov at the time. Man, this is less than the right price. Like to, to me, if if Zadorov got traded, I honestly thought it would. I guess this kind of comes out to second round value. But I thought at bare minimum, you're paying a second round pick. Yeah. And and so to to your point, it's like you can find ways to recoup a 2026 third round pick. Yeah, I mean Be this management team then, yeah. has already done it with Hamannik and Luke Shen throughout the years. Basically, the entire hockey world is like, really? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> That's all they had to pay. Now, there are circumstances as to why that is, but as we outlined right off the top, but, you know, this is, again, it is savvy management here with the way that they've gone about acquiring another player and continuing to reshape this roster. So let's actually look at, look at the strength of the blue line now, though, because I will say this. Still, they, they're top-heavy in terms of the talent, right? They have Hironic and Hughes, and there's a, then there's a pretty sizable gap between the rest of their defensemen. But I think if you play those guys together, you're using them for more minutes, five-on-five five as well, then are you essentially asking a bit less of your next two pairs anyways? Because I think you can make the assessment that this blue line has two legitimate top fours, a number one franchise, you know, generational-type defenseman in Quinn Hughes. You have a legitimate two-slash-three, maybe a two the way he's playing this year in Philip Hronik. Then I'd say Susie's at probably number five. Zadorov's probably a five on a good team. Cole, four-slash-five. And Myers, like, five. On a bad day, maybe a six, right? But... If you're asking a bit less of those next two pairs, how good can they be? And what is it going to make the team look like in terms of their defensive posture? You know, just hearing you place guys in, in, in I, I think, very correct spots. And then you think, okay, this is still a year in transition. They're still trying to build towards something big, bigger. I kind of feel like the Ocean's Eleven of, like, do you think we need one more? Yeah, we kind of need one more. Yeah. And I, I think down the line, maybe there's one more. Because they, they saved themselves on not spending a big price on this one. Maybe the next big one is uh, a true number two. We're going to welcome Elliot Friedman into the conversation. Uh, 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks for doing this, Fridge. Uh, your, uh, your take on the Canucks acquiring Nikita Zadorov. Well, I probably should have seen it coming. Yep. No question right after they traded Beauvillier. The other day, they were going for defense. I, I didn't necessarily think it would be this quick, but we knew that they were going to do it. You know, Zadorov was one of the targets. I think Calgary had made it known that they would like to do something sooner rather than later. And I heard that there were a bunch of teams that were kind of, or a few teams anyway, that were lining up. And the one advantage that Vancouver had here over everybody else, from what I understand, is that they didn't need any, to Calgary to retain. Uh, because they'd moved Bovillia, they could take his full salary. I know Toronto 
uh, needed uh, the Flames to retain, and some other teams did too. And Calgary preferred to do none of it, so Vancouver got their guy. And we had heard too that Calgary was maybe uh, not really happy trading with Vancouver to begin with. We heard the stuff around Chris Tanev and, and perhaps that to be a premium paid. So what does, does, what does that say about the desperation that Calgary found itself in in terms of wanting to get the player off their roster and Vancouver taking advantage? Well, I think that they probably, I mean, it's not a huge price set, but I think they probably had to throw in the second pick. Uh, I would bet that, that that's the reason. Like, if you look last year, remember when Toronto traded for Luke Shan, who had kind of a similar role that was a third-rounder, so Vancouver takes the has to give up one other pick, although, like you said, it's not a big thing. Look, uh, like I think this, the biggest thing that Vancouver had to take advantage, and this is the reason I think Calgary uh, made the deal now as much as they wanted to, is, is because they didn't have to eat any money. Um, I think that if... If Vancouver was was going to ask Calgary to eat money, then I don't know if this trade happens today. So I, th- I think that's the key thing that Vancouver can do here. Um, you, you know, the, the thing, too, about Calgary is, like, I heard that they were appreciative that after the first explosion with the agent, Dan Milstein, that they, that they were appreciative that Zadorov kind of put it behind him and played pretty hard. But I think overall, from that day, Zadorov's time in Calgary was was ending. And I think that's the one thing that Vancouver could really take advantage of, is that Calgary wanted to move on. They had the space, and they had to pay one extra pick, although it's nothing you're going to you know be too upset about. I guess Zadorov is sort of considered a, a, a rental. He is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Uh, the Canucks off to the hot yeah. start, uh, but not not exactly not exactly a team I would have expected to to want to be in on on rentals. As do you see Vancouver changing their expectations of this season, Breach? Well, I do think this says a lot about what they hope to do this year. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't. Uh, you don't go out and get a guy like this unless either a, your goal is to sign him, And I don't think that would be inexpensive. Um, I think Zadorov, like, uh, like I heard that Calgary and him were just never close. Like they got, they never really got to a point where they were close on an extension based on what Zadorov wanted and Calgary was willing to do. So unless Vancouver is willing to get closer there. And I, I can't imagine they're, They've got a lot they can really do after they get Pedersen and Ronek done. So I would be interested to see how that could happen. I, I do agree with the overall premise that the Canucks are saying we're, I don't know if going for it is the right word, like, but we are intending, we have a good team, we're off to a good start, and we want to see where that takes us. You know, um, Again, I heard from another owner this week of a Canadian team, and they were telling me that, you know, you still kind of forget sometimes um, just how much money COVID costs some of these teams. And if you have a good team and you think you can take a playoff run, you're not only looking at it to try to win the Stanley Cup, but you're still looking to make up for maybe something that you lost. And I can't imagine that's an insignificant thing. No, and I think that's obviously something that helps them out. And, and as far as what Vancouver may do next, Ethan Bear has been kind of talked about, and I've always been skeptical in terms of how long it's going to take for him to get up to speed for a team that needs help now. Does it not almost make it easier yeah. for Vancouver to 
to maybe go and, and get that done whenever Bear's ready to go and, and have him and take your time to get him ready and up to speed? I think there's there's truth to that. There's no question about it. Like, if you're desperate and you need the player right away, it's a lot harder. But if the Canucks continue to bank points, they can absolutely be patient. Now, this is also going to come down to, I think the Canucks have $2 million something uh, free. Uh, so I think they can do bear at the number that he's going to command. And now I don't think that that's going to be a problem. You know, the other thing, Sad, I've been joking about with people is that he's skating in Canucks colors. Like if he was really mad <laughs> at the team, I don't think he'd be skating in Canucks colors. Right. So that's usually a good sign. And, you know, I don't think this takes them out for bear. I still think they're very much in that. And uh, I think they seem rather think about Rutherford is he seems confident he can do it. So I think they're counting on it. Yeah, I think it is. Uh... Thinking back on Patrick Alvine's first move as, as Canucks general manager, he traded Travis Hamannick to Ottawa, got a third-round pick, and then used that third-round pick to get Travis Dermott. He's, he seems to have, like, layered ideas of how he wants to make moves, and he's made a lot of them here. I think he's the most uh, the general manager with the most trades since he's come into the league. I would uh, hazard a guess nobody's even really all that close to what uh, Patrick Alvine has done. It's... Like, he's really reshaped this roster in a little over 18 months. Like, we're not even on two years of Patrick Alvin being GM of this team now. Yes, but I also think that's got something to do with the guy who's the president of hockey operations. Yeah. Um, that's, kind of, that's kind of the way he moves. Uh, he's not afraid to make trades. He doesn't want to hear excuses about how hard it is or how difficult it is. And, you know, I was just taping an insert to our podcast for tomorrow. And the one thing I remembered, and I went back and I looked it up, if you take a look at Rutherford, he likes to make his moves early. He does not like to wait till the trade deadline. Uh, in, in 2006 with Carolina, he got Doug Wade about five or six weeks before the deadline. He got Mark Recchi close to the deadline, if not right at it, but he got Doug Wade earlier. And, the other one I really remember was when he was in Pittsburgh the first year they won the, the Cup, which was 2016, he got Trevor Daly in December. Like, he really liked Daly, and he said, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to do what I can to, to make the deal. You know, like, you take a look at the last uh, 48 hours from Rutherford. You know, Chicago goes through a really tough situation. Now, all of a sudden, they need a player. Rutherford needs to remove a forward from his roster. He gets it done. We know he's looking for D. He's got cap space now, and he goes out within two days, and he gets it done. Like, that's, that's the way he is. And, you know, it would be interesting like when, when the day comes where um, Alvin becomes the pilot instead of the co-pilot, I hope he remembers all this and he doesn't get conservative. I hope he keeps the president of hockey operations M.O., well, the rest of the league has something to learn at this point. Uh, there have been four trades, Elliot, since September that have involved salaries with a million dollars or more, and every single one of those trades has involved the Vancouver Canucks. It was Tanner Pearson for DeSmith. It was Lafferty acquiring him for a fifth. It was trading Bavillia to Chicago and not getting Zadorov. Is anybody else going to make a deal soon, or is it going to be all Vancouver <laughs> this year? Hey, well, I don't know what you're complaining about. It, it, it allows you to pro. You don't even have to think of topics. <laughs> hey, it's way too. I'm, I'm, but I'd like to see other t- people get involved. You know, I'm greedy, Elliot. I'd like to see other trades as well. 
There's not well, you know, you must be like a Gordon Gecko guy. Greed is good. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Uh, final thing on this: uh, Canucks have now, after acquiring Nikita Zadorov, they have three defensemen over six foot five on their back end with Carson Soucy, Nikita Zadorov, and of course Tyler Myers. Uh, is size yep. back in in the National Hockey League, Breach? Especially it, it, on well, defense. It, it's good. It is, but it's mo- it's mobility. It's it's more than size. Size is useless if you can't move. And, you know, I remember watching the Stanley Cup final two years ago, and it was, it was Colorado and, uh, and Tampa. And I remember somebody called me during that series, and they said, you watch this. This is where the NHL is going. And the smallest defenseman, by the way they're listed, on the NHL website in that series was Kale McCarr. And Kale McCarr's listed, I think, at 5'11", 207. At least he was at the time. That was the smallest guy in the series. But every one of those guys could move. Like, it wasn't that you were just big and stiff. And basically, teams were setting up a picket fence. You had a maze, a corn maze to get through to score. And if you look at Vegas last year, same deal. Every one of those defensemen were big and long, and they could move. And, you know, you take a look at this. At, at, like, Zadorov is a big guy, but he can move. Mm-hmm. Um, Myers, I know there's people who don't, don't like him out there. He competes hard and he can move. And I think that's why, especially with the way that you guys play, like with Hughes on one side and kind of the flexible partner, like there's times you can use him with Ronick, and obviously you have, but now you're going to have more options to put with him who's maybe a bigger, longer guy because I think the only thing that people are going to say about about Hughes and it's really a small thing is that when you take a look at all those defense now that have won they're starting that have won the cup in the last couple of years or have been in contention the last two to four years they're all big and long and hard to get through and that is absolutely what I think teams are trying to copy Absolutely. Final one. Uh, we, we do it real quick. Calgary, are you going to take a pause here now that they made this move, or do we expect them to still be busy? I, I th- uh, the famous last words. I'm going to end up on uh, freezing cold <laughs> takes. Right. I, I, I think that they're going to make us. I think that they're going to pause a little bit, but it's not insignificant here that they're out of LTIR now. Like they can bank cap space. And, you know, they still got decisions to make on Tanev and uh, Hannafin and Lindholm. And I think what Calgary has done now is they've said to teams, we have some flexibility. We have some guys we may not be keeping. We're, we can take guys back if you're willing to pay us to do it. And, like, that's the message that Conroy is going to be sending around. Elliot, we, uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks for this. All right, guys, enjoy the game tonight. Vancouver, Vegas, going to be good. Yeah, it should be a big one. Uh, thanks for this. Take uh, there care, is, guys. There is uh, Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts in Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, great stuff, man. Uh, as always, yep. getting Elliot on. And, uh, Bick, we have a few more minutes here. Uh, your takeaway on what, what Elliot had to say. Uh, money talks, man. <laughs> yeah, Money talks. It's great to have principles. It's like, oh, we'll never trade in division with Vancouver. 
And then like, wait, we're, we're, we're saving how much? <laughs> wait, we don't have to keep paying this guy? <laughs> wait, and third round pick? Yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, what Elliot mentions, them getting out of LTIR. So right now they have like six or 700,000 in cap space. But by the deadline, that mm-hmm. gives makes it $5 million. So all of a sudden for them, they, they can be in a hedge situation where they're like, if we're in it, maybe we add and maybe we, we go forward or we sell. And it does alleviate a bit of a stressor. So... As much as, yes, Calgary was desperate, there's clearly a bet, a huge benefit for Calgary making this move, too. Uh, we talked a lot about whether or not the Canucks would be in on rentals, and this isn't a very expensive rental. No. So, like, that does change the conversation a little bit. But, uh, like, if the Canucks aren't 15-7-1, I don't know if they make this kind of a move mm-hmm. right now, right? Like, that's – both of those things can be true at the, at the same time. And, and and I feel like, especially after the Susie injury, it's – uh, we're pretty weak after, you know, we get yeah. beyond our top guys. And if there's any kind of an injury, we're going to need more help than what we've got internally right now. And this is part of the reason they made this move. Especially if you do go to the playoffs. Yeah. We're we're f- nearly 60 games until then. Yeah. Then an injury or two is going to happen in the playoffs. You're going to need more than six guys. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe come March, you live in the pure rental and is there a fifth round pick or something you can move that you get another body in. But – if or, or Ethan Bear, but the, there's going to be injuries between now and then. You you can't just assume. Oh well, we have one D man injured and Breezeball is out, and what? That's it, all that's going to happen. It's like the, you you do have to prepare for the worst case scenario if you're going to the playoffs. It's like the off season discussion where you talk about like everybody being healthy. Like who's going to play with who? Like yeah. what are the decisions going to be? And who's going to get scratched? And I mean, how many games are you going to have all 18 of your top 18 yeah. skaters playing? Probably maybe a handful, maybe a dozen if you're lucky by the end of the year. I also think the depth forwards, now not that they've had to really dip into that pool, has performed better than oh, yeah. the defen- the depth defensemen yeah. have to this point. So just quickly here, Bear, let's see what happens, would be good depth. And now, yeah. you can, now it alleviates the whole like, well, how much is he going to help you? You can take your time and, and, and maybe it's good to have the asset in hand. If they want to actually improve up front though, it's going to have to be money in, money out, or some other type of form of trade. So not to say they're not going to do anything else. They're going to be active. But this may have been their one move for the time being. And it, and it mm-hmm. took another move to happen. So I'd say if Vancouver is relatively, relatively quiet on the trade front from now on, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Now, maybe famous last words, like Elliot said, too, because this, this is the most active team trade-wise. They made five of the last eight trades in the NHL since September. And like I mentioned, all four big trades have been Vancouver. Yeah. But there isn't a lot of flexibility, especially if they sign Bear. So if they're going to do anything else, it's going to have to be the series of moves we've seen. Somebody out, somebody in again, and and that may take some time. We were talking about the other day on the intermission. Like Flexibility to me is always more important than, yeah. than actual cap space, right? What options do you have? And you just said because of the injuries, they probably didn't have any flexibility. And now you get another real NHL body. It gives you options on what to do with Tyler Myers. Yeah. Whereas if, if there was no trade today – you kind of walk this into January and say, well, we kind of need him. You need him. You need him. I was talking on the show yesterday. It's like you can't really live in a world where it's you just take him to playoffs and yeah. figure it out later. It's there's going to be one or the other always. And now, at least now, you, you open the door a bit more for trade. If you get an Ethan Bear and we see asset comes in, asset can go out. Yeah. Same thing for Tyler Myers. It, it's 
if you change the timelines of here's this 30 plus demon that goes out the door and we're going to go get someone that's 27 younger, you're just extending the different timelines of the service years on your roster. It is uh, Canuck Central or Zadorov Central. Uh, Bick, we appreciate you uh, joining us for the roundtable here. That was the easiest money I ever made. <laughs> Wait, they're paying you? <laughs> they're paying you for this? Yeah. You guys aren't? <laughs> uh, it is Canuck Central. Rick Dollywall will join us next.